It is that time now once again For getting lumped up with my friends It's rock a mic And Rob that you should know And you'll find them here on the rock show So 133 of The Rock Show, and we're talking about a very infamous band called Wasp, pretty much heavy metal. Right. Um, and they got a fucking history. I watched a documentary that you sent me about um, Holmes. Yeah, the Mean Man documentary. The Mean Man. Holy shit, man. That guy went through some shit. Yeah, that's a crazy, crazy documentary. He, he's a, a wild man. Reminds me of Lemmy a little bit. Yeah, he, he he reminds me a lot of him. He was, um, but the guy was, dude, the guy was the real deal, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he basically, you know, was the sound of Wasp, the, the, the guitar sound that made them early on. Uh, when he was not in the band, they were okay, but not as good. Definitely, he brought something to that band that they've never been able to replace. Yeah, because I think Wasp is still together now. Well, yeah, I mean, Blackie's the only original member at yeah. this point, Blackie Lawless. Um, he is working on something, uh, I understand, since about 2017, okay? Um, but, you know, it hasn't come out yet. I mean, the pandemic slowed everything down anyway. But, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I just want to say, you know, off the bat, you know, I, I, I've ne- I was never like a big metalhead in the 80s, okay? But Wasp was a band that... I followed a little bit because I felt they were different. They, they were not really a hair metal band. Okay. Uh, I didn't really like too many hair metal bands, bands at the time, but Wasp was one that kind of got lumped in with them because I think nobody really knew how to categorize them. But Blackie Lawless had been playing music since the early seventies. So he was a lot older, at least five years older than, a lot of these, you know, hair metal guys that came later, five to ten years older, I would say, he was. So, you know, he was already kind of established, well-known on the L.A. scene. He had a couple of bands before uh, Wasp, which we'll, we'll talk about briefly. But uh, I think, you know, there, there's an originality to them. Uh, there's, a, you know, just something about them that they're very melodic, even though they're very heavy. And I always liked that. Um, You know, in the 80s, they were huge, you know, and it was really we're going to talk about all the controversy with the PMRC. okay, that they had and uh, how they how they pretty much took them on almost head on. And uh, they were really, you know, all the problems they had at shows and stuff because of their. Uh, the PMRC condemning them. There was a lot of problems. So we're going to talk about this. We'll get right into it. Right. Yeah, um, another thing, man, even the controversy with the names, the albums that they were taking, like the name of some songs, it was like, holy shit, man. Yeah, I mean, they really didn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they really, and, and, and they had the unique uh, situation where, you know, the record companies kind of backed them in that. Yeah. You know, it seems like they let them put these songs out with these titles. And, yeah, because you know, what was the first one? Animal. 
fuck like, like a beast. beast. It's yeah. like, whoa, what the and fuck? The, P- the PMRC went, I mean, that was the first song I ever heard from them. And uh, when that came out, I remember that was about 1984. I, yeah. I, was, I was in high school. I was like, what? You know? <laughs> Mike, you know what I think happened to this? I think they were more of a glam, glam metal. And, well, and, I, and shock metal, but I think what happened to this band, they're like any other hair band, they just got lost in the shuffle when Alternative Music came out. Well, you know what? They, they they did, but not entirely, because we'll talk about some of that stuff in the 90s. Blackie went in a different direction. Uh, you know, by the mid-80s, I would say late 80s, by the late 80s, they were maturing and they were getting away from some of these, like, you know, more juvenile kind of titles like uh you know fuck like a beast and harder fast yeah stuff like that you know they were getting away from writing songs like that and he started to be more like socio-political and that you know the fans went along with it that they didn't really lose any they, i think if anything they might have lost some female fans along the way because they got into some really crazy theatrics okay i don't know if you saw the the stuff where they were like you know, slaughtering pigs on stage. and Yeah, that know, shit was like, holy crap. Yeah, how they got away with it, I got no idea. Okay, but... Uh, Even from the sign, the sign they had, the burning sign, they just stayed burned. What's that? The watch sign in the back burning all the time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that was, was part of the show. <laughs> that was the logo, yeah. yeah. And, and, and what they did was they... They used like you know it was a wooden sign with 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 flame retardant paint on it, and they would yeah, just they set, set paint it on, on there. Keep it going. Yep, yep. They were crazy. They were crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's all influenced from Alice Cooper and and stuff like that. You know, Brian Crawlis yeah. loved that shit. So you know, he he just took it to a different level. I mean, their outfits alone with. With the buzz saws sticking out of their arms and 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 the buzz saw sticking out of his dick, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all right. We got to get into this because it's a great story. All right, let's go. Let's start the show. All right. So Blackie Lawless was born Stephen Edward Duran on September fourth, nineteen fifty six, on Staten Island. Yeah, um, I was, that yeah, was weird a, when I read that. Yeah, he's a New York guy. Yeah, he was yeah. raised in a very Christian household. Okay. And he had a very Christian fundamentalist upbringing and was considered born again at age 11. All right. So he was a very church going guy in his late teens. He left the church because he got interested in the occult. And though he has returned over the years to his Christian faith, uh, you know, for a long period of time, he was he was away from it. Now, he descends from Irish, French and Native American ancestry. His mother Wow. Was part Blackfoot Indian, and I guess that's how he got the name. Okay, so he is the nephew of the late Yankees relief pitcher Ryan Duran. Okay, Ryan Duran pitched for the Yankees, I think, in the in the fifties. Yeah, that um, was kind of fascinating too. Yeah, yeah. Now he actually himself considered a baseball career. Okay, he was he was he did play ball as a kid. But he opted for music after his older brother introduced him to the guitar. All right. So Blackie Lawless's original stage name when he started playing out was Blackie Guzman. Okay. And he began his, and he spelled it Guz, not the Spanish way, G-U-Z. Yeah. 
He spelled it goose like booze, B O like B O like G O O Z E, Guzman. Okay, and he began his career playing with bands like Black Rabbit and Orfax Rainbow in New York, and that was in the early to mid '70s. Now, in 1975, he got a big break because Johnny Thunders, the guitarist from the New York Dolls, left the tour that they were on a Florida tour right in the middle of the of the tour. Okay, he left the band. Him and Jerry Nolan actually left at the same time. And Blackie quickly auditioned for a spot to replace Thunders, and he was hired to do the remainder of the gigs on the Florida tour. Now, I don't know how many he did. Uh, I think he was like maybe four or five. I'm not sure. Okay, but he actually did play in the New York Dolls briefly. Yeah, because um, they got him. They got him with Circuit Circus, Sister. Oh London. yeah. Well, well. Before we talk about that, there's a there's an interesting connection here with the Dolls. Okay. Okay. Um, after that Florida tour, the Dolls pretty much broke apart. Uh, they would continue on in kind of like a half-assed way in New York City, but Arthur Kane, the bass player, went to California with Blackie, and they started a band called Killer Kane. Okay, now um, he, he again he's still using the name Blackie Guzman. Okay, now the band was was short lived, Killer Kane, but they did put out uh, a single on uh, Whiplash Records, which was Rick Rivet's old label. Okay, okay. and it was the Killer Kane band, and uh, you know he it was it was basically like. They put out a song called Mr. Cool. Uh, there, was a, there was another one. I forget the title. Uh, Mr. Cool was actually the B-side. It would, would be kind of reworked into a, a, uh, a uh, Wasp song later on. But <clears throat> what happened was, you know, Rivets put this out for, for Arthur. He was good friends with Arthur, obviously. That's, that's, we've talked about this before. And, uh, but the band didn't last. And... Arthur went back to New York City to, to play with Rivets in a band called the Corpse Grinders, and Guzman stayed back in Los Angeles. And that's when he started the band Sister. That was in 1976, and that would feature future Wasp guitarist Randy Piper. And he would play off and on in this band Sister, and around 78, there was a new lineup for the band, and it included Nikki Six who was going to be in Motley Crue in a few years. Yeah, right. I saw that. I was... Yeah, and also a guy named Lizzie Gray was on guitar. Yeah. And, and Chris Holmes, who would be in Wasp later, um, was part of Sister at that point in 1978. Um, now, Holmes would be a very important member of the Wasp story. Okay, now he was born in Glendale, California, on June 23rd, 1958. Uh, he was a well-known and respected guitarist on the L.A. scene in the late 70s. He was playing in bands like Buster Savage, LAX, and Slave. Okay? Now, Sister, the band Sister would disband in 1979, but Blackie put together another band called Circus Circus. Uh, once again, with Randy Piper on guitar. It lasted about two years. Yeah, joined Lizzie Gray and Nikki Six's band called London. All right, this is pre Motley Crue, um, with whom he would play a few gigs only. Okay, 
He did record a demo with London, but Nikki Six at that point would leave to form Motley Crue, so that band fell apart. In 82, Blackie Lawless, along with Randy Piper, and another New York City musician on guitar named Rick Fox and drummer Tony Richards, they formed Wasp. Okay, Now, Rick Fox was with the band only maybe about four months from February of 82 until about the end of May in 82. But his short stay involved a live three-track cassette demo recording, and Fox actually came up with the name Wasp. All right, now, it's important to realize they, when they originally started the band, they didn't put periods after the, 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 the letters in Wasp. It yeah. was Wasp, like the insect, okay? Yeah. In fact, that's how Rick Fox got the name because he was living with Blackie at the time. And outside the, the, the apartment where they were living, he stepped on a wasp. And he said, oh, that'd be a cool name for a band. Okay, because they, they, <laughs> they, they, they were kind of jamming and they didn't have a name yet for the band, you know. So over the years, Blackie and even some fans, they've tried to kind of write off Rick Fox's importance in the band. But Blackie has said that he couldn't, uh, cut it in Wasp, that that he just let Rick go, okay, that Rick just wasn't good enough. But if you listen to Rick's tracks uh, that's on the, the, the rare collectible uh, Wasp three-track demo that they recorded at, at Randy Piper's studio, it shows some very solid playing, Yeah. okay? Uh, you know, he, he was, he, he's a good guitar player, okay? He ended up, when he left uh, Wasp, he ended up starting a heavy metal band called Steeler, okay, with a guy named Ron Keel and a very young Ingve Malmsteen, who I'm sure you've heard of. Yeah. Okay? Uh, that was really, you know, the world's introduction to Ingve was this band Steeler. Now, Fox will be replaced by Don Coster, okay. Uh, he was the bass player in Tony Richards' former band, Dante Fox. Okay, and that band actually, Dante Fox, actually evolved into uh, into what would be Great White. Okay, um, Costa would also leave and be replaced by Braden Parker. Okay, now this occurred when Chris Holmes joined the band. All right, it was around the same time that Chris Holmes joined up with Wasp. So before now, they even they, they were having members change already. They've had yeah. yeah, I mean even before they had an album. Yeah, I mean it yeah. just that's been one of the you know the major problems with with Wasp is that they've never been able to retain a lineup for too long. Okay? Um you know they've gone a few years with the same people but you know everybody seems to to come and go. Unfortunately, you know Blackie's been the only original one. Now Hey, Mike, Mike yeah. what was the deal with Blackie and the raw meat? <laughs> well, when they listen, when they got their, <laughs> when they got their stage show going, okay, it was no stopping them. I mean, they did different things over the years. Originally, they started with a lot of pyrotechnics and a lot of uh, you know fire and things like that, but it would evolve into like props where they would throw raw meat into the audience. You know, and they would have a big box and it would say like raw meat and big letters on it. So you knew exactly yeah. what it was. And they just he would take a bite out of it 
Holmes would take a bite out of it. They'd throw it in the audience. Crazy. Yeah, that's fucking nuts, man, you know? (laughs) But people loved it. People loved it. Now, Wasp got signed to Capitol Records uh, basically about nine months after they formed. Okay, which is pretty quick. You know, they had a a big following um, right away. Okay, Uh, from what I understand is, you know, one of their first gigs, like only showed about 300 people. Okay, came. Okay, which not bad for an early gig. But their next gig after that one. Okay, because what they did was at that gig, that's when he started bringing like naked models out on stage. Okay, and he would like pretend to whip them and stuff like that. While they yeah. were tied up. Yeah, and the torture rack. Yeah, like he went from 300 people to like the next show at the same place was like 3,000. And the fire department <laughs> had to come and close it down. You know, like, the crazy. Yeah, so it was crazy. Now, um, the self-titled Wasp debut album was released on August 17, 1984. The album has been known by three different names. Now, on the spine of the original European vinyl release, it had the title Winged Assassins on yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Early cassette releases actually had the the title I Want to Be Somebody printed in bold letters on the cover. All right. Uh, so some people buying the cassette might have thought that was the name of the album. But the official title, how, however, has always just been Wasp. And that's when they, they started putting the periods between the letters. Yeah. Um, now, the production credits go to Blackie himself and producer Mike Varney. Now, you might remember we've mentioned Mike Varney before because he was the founder of Shrapnel Records. Yeah. Okay, he'd been around. He produced a lot of people. He was involved with the Dictators and several others. Um, now, I want to mention briefly about those, those periods, the, the name, the, the letters. Blackie did that to kind of create a mystery. Like, oh, let's make it mean something. Okay. Uh, I don't think it meant anything at all. Okay. But over the years, especially early, people had all these kinds of ideas. Um, One thing that they they used to joke around and say it meant we are sexual perverts. (laughs) Okay. Now, now the, the, the PMRC picked up on that. All right. Now, who was the PMRC? All right. Now, our younger listeners out there might not know what we're talking about. In the 80s. The right to censor almost kind it, of right to censor group. Well, yeah, it was a, it was a bunch of senators wives headed by Al Gore's ex-wife, Tipper Gore. OK. And a lot of, you know, several others on the on the panel. And they were grading and deciding what you know, bands were offensive and they, uh, and what weren't. Okay. And, you know, it, it eventually led to the, uh, the labeling of, of albums. And eventually that went to the labeling of video games and you still see that. Okay. And you still see stickers on CDs today. Okay. That something might be offensive. And, uh, it, it was, it was, I, I, I always harken back to it. And I'll, I'll think that's, that was a pretty dark period for, for creativity because if you ended up on their shit list, which a wasp did, 
okay, you start to have a lot of problems. Now, so it was like the NWA, a lot of rap bands. Too. Yeah, right, right, right. The early hip hop stuff with NWA, the gangster rap stuff. They, yeah. they were they were on their shit list too. Okay, yeah. and they actually came up with uh, what they called the Filthy 15 songs, okay? And they decided that it was offensive. You know, this little panel of senators' wives, okay? Now, prior to the original release of the, uh, the debut album, they had a song called Animal, Fuck Like a Beast, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, you know, I mean, when I when I, I was like 15 when that came out and I just laughed my ass off. I just thought it was hilarious. OK, I still think it's funny. And, you know, it, the lyrics are like ridiculous. It's silly. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, guy stuff. OK. And the PMRC put that on their their 15 filthy songs. OK, their list. OK. And. What happened was Capitol Records actually was was feeling pressure from the PMRC and they pulled the song off the debut album. It was supposed to be on there, but it never it never got released with that song on it. Now, they ended up releasing it as a single in the UK only, not in America, on yeah. an indie label called Music for Nations. And, it, you know, right away, it became like one of the hottest imports that you could get. OK, everybody was looking for this single. Uh, I got to I got to tell you, it got so popular that even though it wasn't released here, you could still get it in certain stores. Yeah. OK. And people were paying a lot for this single. They actually released it as a picture disc as well. And it was a picture of Blackie. Like 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 your cod piece in front of your balls with the buzzsaw sticking out of it. Okay, so it, it was just like you know that it was a record shaped like that. Okay, like a buzzsaw on a guy's crotch. Okay, so you know I had that. I had that. I think I paid like twenty dollars for it, which was a lot of money back then. But you know, <laughs> it just everybody wanted it. You know what I mean? Oh, did you hear that song? Animal fucked like a beast. Everybody yeah. was talking about it, you know. And uh, let me tell you that that debut album was—I thought it was a fantastic album too. I uh, think that's with. one of the best albums of the '80s. That first album. Yeah, it's okay. fantastic. Yeah, and, and again, I am not a huge metalhead. Okay, I do like some bands, but this was just one that I, I've always felt. It's a great debut album. The whole thing rocks from beginning to end. There's no filler on it. No. Nah. There's. It's just. It's just. So like, you know, the song I Want to Be Somebody, okay? Uh, great. Yeah, that ended up being released as a single. And uh, the, the, the second, uh, this, it was actually, uh, there was a video with that that got, like, a lot of rotation on MTV. It was, like, just kind of them playing live on stage uh, in a studio. It was very cool. Now, there was another track on there called Love Machine, which was, yep. you know, it, it, the chorus said it was l-o-v-e machine and that was a a pre-wasp circus circus song that was kind of reworked for the album that had never really been recorded before uh the song tormentor was written by blackie and chris holmes 
and it was used in the 1984 film The Dungeon Master, in which the band cameoed at another film called Terror Vision in 1986. Yeah. Now, <laughs> yeah. Now the next year, okay, and keep in mind that they're, they're touring constantly as well. Uh, you know, as much as they're putting out at, out these 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 albums. Now the next year, 1985. It saw the release of their second album called The Last Command. And that was released in September of, of that year. Um, the album was produced by a guy named Spencer Proffer, who was best known for producing the six-time platinum-selling Metal Health by Quiet Riot in 1983. Okay. So the song Running Wild in the Streets on that album was originally written by Proffer and was actually recorded in a demo by black sabbath but they didn't use it wow. so it was a song that sabbath was was considering but didn't use and wasp ended up using it um there was a song called sex drive that was written by blackie and randy piper when they were in sister okay they used it for that album uh cries in the night was based on that song mr cool okay from the killer kane single um the Wasp Anthems, Blind in Texas and Wild Child, which are probably their two most well-known songs. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that was on this second album. Now, The Last Command is the first album to feature the work of Steve Riley on drums, as Tony Richards had left during the 84-85 tour in between the first and second album. Um, the Last Command charted at, nine, at number 47 on Billboard which was the highest charting album that the band ever recorded in America. Okay. Now, um, after the last command tour, Randy Piper would leave the band and Blackie switched back to rhythm guitar, which was an instrument he was much more comfortable with than playing bass. Yeah. Okay. Because he, he was playing bass on those first two albums. Um, in October, 86 wasp released their third studio album, called Inside the Electric Circus. It was a success as it stayed in the top 200 for 19 weeks and peaked at number 60. Now, fans the album and this new lineup, but critics panned the record, calling it like seventh grade rock because of tracks like 9-5-N-A-S-T-Y, Nasty, uh, Shoot from the Hip, and King of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, the, band, the band showed some growth, though, by recording a cover of the Ray Charles song, I Don't Need No Doctor, which was another one of their very well-known well songs. Yeah, uh, definitely well-known. Yeah. Now, Blackie Lawless, over the years, has kind of expressed displeasure with this album, Inside the Electric Circus, because I think he, I think he didn't like the production on it. And he's kind of a guy that's very hard on, very critical of himself. He doesn't think that he does a good job when he does. Okay. Now, at this point, Wasp was getting very popular, and they became a bigger target even for the PMRC. Tipagore, Al Gore's wife, was the ringleader of the PMRC and constantly attacked the band about their name. Okay, you know, what does it mean? Now, the We Are Sexual Perverts rumor as to what the name meant didn't really help, okay, but their reputation in general, was being besmirched by the PMRC, all right? They were just constantly attacking the band, and it, it got to a point where 
if they were going to play a concert somewhere, a hall somewhere, the place would get a bomb threat. <laughs> okay. Um, band members were, were, were given death threats. And two people in two separate incidents actually took shots at Blackie. Damn. He never got hit, thank God. But, but you know, he, the band was actually getting shot at by crazy people that were following the, what, what, this, what this disgusting PMRC was, was doing, okay? Um, you know, and, and it, it was getting to a point where, you know, people were complaining, artists like Frank Zappa, uh, even the Ramones gave their two cents in about the PMRC, uh, you know, Ozzy, uh, if you remember, Judas Priest was being sued, okay, because somebody committed suicide to one of their records. Uh, you know, it was a crazy time where they were trying to pin tragedies on these these bands that really had nothing to do with it, okay? You know, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's a sad thing if someone commits suicide, but it's not the artist's fault if the person was listening to the record when, yeah. you know what I mean? That, that makes no sense. But let me ask, didn't by the, that Parent Music uh, Resource Center, by them, by the PM, PMRC, uh, didn't that make them even more popular? Yeah, well, that's my point. I mean, when, when, well, when, when, the, when the PMRC would go after WASP and it caused, you know, incidents like bomb threats, more people wanted to go. Yeah. More people wanted to buy their records. And they even, you know, bond back. Blackie did a lot of interviews and, uh, you know, guitar magazines and, you know, music magazines. And he would be questioned on these problems. And, and he would say, listen, it's just making us more popular. And it's true. You know, anytime you try to ban something or you try to talk something down as being offensive or something, it just makes it more popular. Yeah. You know, that's why I always felt like, you know, you could put a label on a record and say, oh, this this has offensive material, you know, any 16-year-old kid is going to want to buy it. And they'll get their hands on it and they'll listen to it. Yes, they will. You know? so <laughs> it's, just the, it's just the nature of people, right? I mean, it's, you know. Now, in 1987, Wasp had their song, uh, Scream Until You Like It, used on the soundtrack for the movie Ghoulies 2. <laughs> and November 27th, 1987, they released the live album Live in the Raw which was recorded at the Long Beach Arena in California. That's another very good album. Oh, that's, you know, another great live album. Uh, that might be something we have to do a show on one day, the making of that. Oh, yeah, that's, um, a, that's a fantastic album. Yeah, really I remember when that came out, um, I was in my, I had just graduated. Yeah, I had just graduated high school. And I remember somebody that came up to me said, oh, did you hear the new Wasp record? I said, no, I didn't even know they had one. And he goes, oh, it's a live album. I said, oh, okay, well, how is it? And he's like, oh, there's a song. And I remember him telling me this. There's a song on there that he starts off saying, suck me, fuck me, eat me raw. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, oh, my God, he lost his mind. Okay, <laughs> they're going to ban this record forever, you know? And I remember going out to get it. I bought it brought it home, blasted it, and the song Harder Faster is on there. Okay, I don't think that's on any studio album, if I remember right, but I could be wrong. But I think it's just on that live record. 
And he if goes. If it is in the studio album, it'll probably be like a greatest hits or something. Yeah, I, I think it was a song that was on, you know, compilations and things, but I don't yeah. think it was ever on a real album. Yeah. Uh, if I'm wrong, I apologize to the fans. Um, but um, he goes into a, an introduction to the song about the PMRC. And then he just is like, you know, I'm going to introduce this new, new one. You know, it's. It, it suck me, fuck me, eat me raw. This is harder, faster. Right? And then you go into the song, and the whole song's about the PMRC. All right. And, you know, they were just baiting them. Okay. And I don't know how they they managed to hang on. They never really got banned. The, the record companies put out the records. They didn't pull these records off the shelves. Yeah. I don't recall that. Okay. And I, I, you know, in my research, I didn't hear about that. Um, but, the album did very well. Now, Steve Riley had recently left on drums, okay, uh, to be in L.A. Guns. And he got replaced by local drummer Chad Nelson. Now, Live in the Roar is a fantastic live record, capturing their live sound perfectly, okay? Um, you know, Blackie, uh, one thing I love about the band is is that their live sound was very similar to their to the records, they, the, the studio stuff. So they really, you know, I mean, they might extend things out, have longer guitar solos and stuff. But for the most part, they sound, you know, live just like they do in the studio. Um, Wasp's fourth studio record after the live album was called The Headless Children. And it was released on April 15th, 1989. And it was their first without really any overly sexually explicit songs. Um, the album made it to number 48 and it charted for 13 weeks. Now, its performance at first was a little weak, okay, but over the years, it's actually been their biggest selling album, okay? Uh, the themes on this album showed a new level of maturity for Wasp. Uh, politics and social issues were more of the main theme and that was a that was a intentional thing by Blackie. Okay. I think that it wasn't that he wanted to get away from the, the sexual stuff, sexual, you know, innuendos and things because of the PMRC. I think the PMRC made him more political, made him more socially conscious. Okay. Yeah. That's what he would be from that point on. Now, a lot of people feel, and I'll agree with this, that the live record live in the raw is kind of like a bridge between two different eras of, of Wasp. Yeah. The, fir the first couple albums where they were wild and crazy and talking about banging chicks. And, and then this like more mature period that kicks in where they're getting into talking more about the world and what's going on in the world. Now, the cover art on the Headless Children was based on what was called the Gateway to Scal Stalingrad, which was a cartoon by a guy named Daniel R. Fitzpatrick. And it features a bunch of historical figures on the cover, including Hitler, Stalin, Heinrich Himmler, Mussolini, Charles Manson, Jim Jones, Pol Pot, Al Capone, and even the KKK. And if you look in the front of it, kind of in the foreground of the picture, you can see uh, Jack Ruby shooting Lee Harvey Oswald. Okay. Crazy. Yeah, it was a crazy album cover. Now, Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot 
recorded the drums for Wasp on this album. Yep. And uh, it's also the last album to feature Chris Holmes yep. until he would return later on in the 90s. Now, the band on this album, I, I thought this, this album was great. The band covered the Who's The Real Me from the Quadrophini album. Okay. I thought that was a great. I thought that was a great cover. It is. It is. It, it's. It just shows that what you could do with a great song. You know what I yeah. mean. And uh, I, I over the years, I've always kind of wondered with that. Like, if you listen to the original, you know, you have that heavy bass riff in the beginning, yeah. and it's one of the best bass lines you you'll ever hear in a, in a rock song. He kind of on Blackie's version, you know, he kinds of kind of like tones it down you hear more guitar the bass is a little bit in the background i always kind of wanted to hear that but then it, you know it, it made it more of a metal song i think by having the guitar up front like that instead of the bass but you know it's still cool i think it's a great cover version it kicks ass you know um now mean man was uh written by blackie about chris holmes that song okay it was, that's on that album. And uh, it was about Holmes' wild lifestyle. And it's actually dedicated to him. Okay. Now, the song came out on the heels of Chris Holmes' appearance in the film The Decline of Western Civilization, The Metal Years, that came out a year earlier in 1988. Now, that's the movie, um, the second part, directed by Penelope Spears. Um, she had done The Punk Years, which was about the L.A. punk scene in the first part. And then the second part is about metal bands and everybody from Lemmy to Alice Cooper to Chris Holmes gets interviewed in that movie. It's great. And Chris Holmes is in a swimming pool floating in a chair and his mother is sitting poolside. Now Chris is in a leather outfit in the pool. Okay. He's half in the water actually. Okay. He's in the water. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's you know the, the the chair is floating and he's in a leather outfit. Okay. Yeah. And he's great. just and he's guzzling bottles of vodka. Okay, and and he's just talking about how he's a fuck up and how he's an alcoholic. <laughs> okay. And, and the just, mother. You know, he, they, they ask him, you know, how many bottles do you drink a day? He's like, I don't know, five, you know, something like that. Okay, and it became, I mean, to this day, it's. It's infamous in the in the Mean Man documentary. They they go into that because he's so well known for that scene. Okay, and it's it's kind of haunted him for the rest of his life. But you now. heard what Johnny Rod say, right? Johnny Rod said that it was water, that it wasn't vodka. Yeah, so there's two stories to that. Like they say it was fake. It might have been fake. That like the first bottle was vodka, and then he was filling up all the bottles. But they're saying he filled it up with pool water, but nobody's going to drink pool water. No, I think he just filled it with regular water. It wasn't yeah, pool water. I, I, it was pretty I, I funny. But then the other guy was like, no, it's it's real. And he, he was really fucked up, and that's what he did. So I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It makes for a great scene in the movie. Yeah, but, but the mother's Blackie, just looking at him like... Yeah, yeah, his mother's like shaking her head, man. It's priceless, you know? <laughs> and... <laughs> And, uh, yeah, talk about lumped up, right? So Now, uh, Blackie Lawless got pissed when he did that, okay? And uh, I don't know, you know, that documentary really showed a different side. Um, I've always figured that Blackie is kind of hard to work with. Um, You know, uh, 
Holmes says in the documentary that, you know, it was all about Blackie and he wanted all the attention. And, you know, Wasp had basically become the Blackie Lawless project and everybody else was was secondary. I kind of believe that. It it, kind of makes sense. I'm not going to say he's right or wrong. Kind of seems that way. I don't know. But look at all the look at all the different people they had going in and out. Yeah, going in and out of the band. Yeah, it's true. It's a good point. Um, And Chris Holmes really, you know, he he was fed up at that point. Now, the bomber off of uh, the Headless Children was about Ronald Reagan and the power he held over the world with the largest nuclear arsenal. Okay, Trevor Free is a ballad that pays homage to Leonard Skinner's Free Bird. And there was also a song on there called Rebel in the FDG, which stood for fucking decadent generation. And (laughs) I think that's kind of self-explanatory, okay? Now, Holmes would leave the band in 1989 after this record had come out, all right, stating that he wanted to just have fun. He wasn't having fun anymore in Wasp. Now, Lawless responded to this in an interview with a remark that said, you know, some guys just want to stay home and wear aprons. And he was hinting at the nature of Chris Holmes' relationship with his new wife, Lita Ford. Yeah. All right. Remember Lita Ford from The Runaways? Yeah. She had her own career. Um, The band basically broke up at this point pretty much. Okay. Uh, Not officially, but the – you know, Blackie was thinking of pursuing a solo career. And he was originally supposed to play the T-1000 Terminator. In yeah, I saw that. Judgment Day movie, right. Yeah. But but he ended up getting replaced by Robert Patrick after Arnold Schwarzenegger thought Lawless was too tall. Okay. Now, Blackie began work on his first solo record, which he was going to write a rock opera. Okay. I guess he was influenced by the Who doing the real me. So he uh, was going to call this the Crimson Idol. And it was the concept of it was a telling of the rise and fall of a fictional rock star named Jonathan Steele. Now, Blackie writes very slowly, okay, compared to some other people. And uh, it took him three years to complete this. Now, it was released on Capitol Records in 1992. But fans, before its release, kind of learning that the concept, you know, if they learned about what it was, they pressured Blackie to release it as a Wasp record. And uh, I'm not sure if Capital wanted that as well. It's possible, okay? But whatever it was, he gave in to that pressure, and he, re- he released it as a Wasp record. It's oh, never, yeah. It wasn't a Blackie Lawless solo album. So the album itself, The Crimson Idol, didn't really chart that well in the States. Uh, it did a little bit better internationally. And the official tour for the album really didn't happen for about 15 years. Okay. What they would do is 15 years later, they would go out on a Crimson Idol tour, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, and they would play the album from beginning to end, the concept album. What they did in, in 92 is they, you know, he put a live band together. And uh, they went out, but he would do a song or two from the album and do, you know, older Wasp songs. So the whole I, the whole concept album really, you know, it, since it didn't do that well at that point, 
he waited really to, to do a whole tour on it. And it just turned out 15 years later was the right time to do it. Now, the follow-up to Crimson Idol was a new album called Still Not Black Enough, and that was released in 1995. Uh, again, this was supposed to be another Blackie solo record. Okay, but due to the heavy content, Lawless changed his mind, and he made it a Wasp album. So the album was not a concept album like the last one, Crimson Idol, but it was a collection of personal songs about some crises that Blackie had been through after recording the Crimson Idol. Okay, it was just some personal records of, of problems he had been through. Um, tracks like Still Not Black Enough, Black Forever, and Scared to Death, yeah, they were kind of like, you know, dark, okay? And, and that was, you know, with the theme of the record, all right? Yeah. There, there's two covers on this album, uh, Somebody to Love, the Jefferson Airplane song, and the Queen song, Tie Your Mother Down which they do excellent. Okay. Yes, they do. <laughs> yeah. now, now, guitarist Bob Kulik, okay, who was the brother of Bruce Kulik, who played for Kiss. Bob Kulik plays guitar on this album. Bob Kulik, uh, I think, was Bruce's older brother. And he, pl- he has a fantastic career. Like, he played with everybody. Uh, he, played, he plays on Lou Reed's Coney Island Baby album, which, I mean, was about as opposite to Wasp as you could be. Yeah, but uh, which is one of Lou's best albums. So you know he he you know it was it was it was a nice uh, nice grab for for Blackie to get him in the band. He's he's a good guitar player. Now Frankie Benali was back on drums again. Okay, and Chris Holmes would return to Wasp in 1997. Okay, when they were going to record their next album. Now in '97, if you remember. There was a strong kind of like heavy metal crossover with industrial music. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Wasp went in that direction. And this album is different than any other record they ever did. And to be honest with you, this was at a point where I was tuning out with bands like Wasp. Okay. Uh, I, I think in 97, I didn't even think they were still together. Okay. But I listened to this album, uh, and I'll be honest with you, I think it was for the first time. I don't think I'd ever heard this record. I listened to it preparing for this show, and uh, I like it. It, it, it's, it's, It's a good record, and even at a time when there was that metal industrial crossover with music, Nine Inch Nails and things like that, um, I think it's better than all that. And I, I, I kicked myself in the ass because I kind of didn't pay attention at the time in 97. I should have because I wasn't into Nine Inch Nails and things like that. I just I didn't buy it. OK, I didn't buy into it. And, uh, you know, like their version of Hurt. OK, I think Johnny Cash does it better. Yeah. Okay? But that's just me. You know, I'm a dick like that. But um, Wasp comes out with this record and the title of it is Kill, Fuck, Die. Okay. So they were again again doing exactly whatever they wanted. Okay. You put out an album called Kill Fuck Die. Okay. Um, And, you know, very aggressive record. All right. The album was was reflective of the fact that 
Blackie Lawless and Chris Holmes, who had just come back to the band, were both getting out of bad relationships. And uh, it was also supposedly inspired by the film Apocalypse Now. Uh, track titles like the, 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 the title track, Kill, Fuck, Die. Uh, there was another song called Kill Your Pretty Face. Another song called Little Death. And a song called The Horror, which is the final words that are said in Apocalypse Now. Okay. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was a very aggressive thing, a theme that they had, you know, going on this album. Um, the tour that backed this album was totally nuts. Okay. Blackie promoted this album in like a short video, uh, kind of like a video promo to promote the tour. Uh, and he was saying, he was calling this record Snuff Rock. Okay, <laughs> as opposed to a, like a like a snuff movie, right? Yeah, so it was a highly theatrical show, and it featured mock rapes, crucified nuns, and chainsaw decapitations of live pigs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's totally insane. It's okay. good shit. All right, now if you there's a if you check out on YouTube, you can find you know clips of this. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, it was blood and gore. And, you know, I think he he rapes a, a, a nun with like a giant is like a giant knife. OK, so I, I mean, it's just like how they got away with this. I don't know. It was kind of like Wasp meets Gigi Allen. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally insane. You had to be fucking scared to go see them at that point. OK. And I can respect that. I can respect Dude, but they were throwing raw meat in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was when the raw meat was flying. And uh, so many people were afraid of sitting up front because they didn't want to get hit with the meat. <laughs> it's like going to see Guar. Okay? Yeah. You go see, when you saw Guar, if you sat in the front, you were getting drenched with some kind of red jello goo that they, they used for blood. Okay? <laughs> it's great That's stuff. That's another band we're going to touch on probably next year, Guar. Okay? Now... Uh, the album that would be next, okay, would be an album called Hell Dorado, okay? It was released in 1999, and it's the eighth studio album by the band. It was produced by Blackie. Chris Holmes was still in the band at this point. Um, you had Mike Duda on bass and a guy named Stet Howland on drums. Uh, that was basically the lineup they had since the KDF, Kill, Do Kill, uh, Kill Die Fuck. Kill, Fuck, Die, excuse me, album, KFD. Um, they also, in 1998, released the Double Live Assassins album. It was two discs of raw Wasp live material recorded on the uh, KFD tour. Now, another live platter was released for the new millennium, okay, in 2000. Uh, it was called The Sting, and it came out in April of, of that year. And it was a show recorded at the Key Club in Los Angeles. Um, a DVD of this show was released as well. And Blackie's on record saying the video quality sucks on the DVD. But he also feels that the sound quality of the show itself wasn't that good. Uh, but it was released on the independent Apocalypse Snapper labels. So they were going across, you know, indies now. They were using indie labels. Um, the next album would be called Unholy Terror. Um, Chris Holmes left the band. Uh, he doesn't play on this album. 
Uh, he does get credit though. Okay. And in the, in the mean man documentary, he talks about how he's pissed about that because he didn't play on the album and he thought the guitar solo sucked and whoever did it, he didn't want to have the credit to it. Blackie supposedly yeah. thought he was doing him a favor by putting him on the record. But, you know, if you, if you watch the documentary, you'll see that Chris Holmes, you know, it looks like he's been beat a little bit as yeah. far as money over the years. Okay. And watch the documentary. You'll see, and you can come up with your own conclusions with that. Um, now, he would leave the band, okay, and that would be the final departure for him. Uh, he claimed he wanted to play the blues. He wanted to play blues music. Um, and he joined briefly with ex-Wasp Randy Piper's band called Animal. But that wouldn't last, and he would leave the band soon after. Yeah. Uh, Unholy Terror would come out in April of 2001, and it's viewed by many as uh, another issues-type album going into a lot of detail about the world and all its vices. Uh, the title track, Unholy Terror, and the song Charisma were standouts. Um, Dying for the World, released in 2002, was a quickly recorded comment on political correctness in the aftermath of 9-11. Uh, Blackie Lawless was very affected by 9-11, as we all were, but as being a, a New Yorker by birth, what he was... Uh, you know, he said that he had been uh, down by the Trade Center like a week before uh, the actual attacks. So he was very affected by it. Um, he wrote he wrote a song called Hallowed Ground, uh, Revengeance, uh, Hell for Eternity, and a song called Blackbone Torso. They all deal with 9-11 directly or indirectly in some way. Um, in April of 2004, Wasp released the first part of what would be the Neon God. Okay, it was um, the first part was called The Rise, and it was a two-part conceptual conceptual album about an abused and orphaned boy who finds that he has the ability to read and manipulate people. Yeah, that's pretty pretty yeah, cool. Pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. So it came out in two parts over that year in 2004 in April was the first part called the rise. And then in September of that year, uh, the second part called the demise was released and a very interesting way of doing a concept racket in two parts like that. Yeah, that um, was definitely yeah. smart. They had a guy named Daryl Roberts. He was brought in on lead guitar. Mike Duda was on bass and Frankie Benali and Stet Howland shared drum duties okay on both parts uh stet howland is featured prominently in that mean man documentary as well he gives a lot of uh insight now in 2005 wasp headlined american metal blast that that tour with different metal bands and they looked to begin work on a new album however uh the somewhat stable lineup of the last few years began to crumble when stet howland left uh, Dow yeah. Roberts would leave to join Five Finger Death Punch, and Mike Dupke and Doug Blair stepped in on drums and guitar, respectively. And uh, the band then went out on tour. Okay. Now, a new album called Dominator was planned for release in October 2006. The announcement was made on that tour, but a new song entitled Mercy was written, and it was added to the set list of that tour. 
The album would actually be postponed for another year until 2007, as the band finally did a proper tour of the 1992 concept album, The Crimson Idol, like I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, they would do the whole thing from beginning to end, and they would do some older songs, you know, after. Now, the shows featured the album uh, of Crimson Idol started in Greece. They started that tour uh, on October 26, 2007. Dominator had come out, okay, but uh, they were only doing, you know, a song or two off it. They weren't really promoting it. Uh, it came out in April of that year and it was released on Demolition Records. They had some problems because the U.S. release was actually held back because of a failed distribution deal. The label Demolition lost their distrib- distribution label, and in America, it was very hard to find the record. So... Yeah, The album really didn't chart in the United States, but it did well in Germany, where it got to number 72. Um, they ended up canceling the North American leg of that tour due wow. to the fact that nobody could get the record, so nobody in America even knew they had a new album. The European leg was canceled as well as a serious family illness that needed immediate attention was announced. But by late 2007, they were back on track a little bit. They played some makeup gigs in Scotland and other European places. Um, in 2009, Wasp would release the album called Babylon, once again on Demolition Records, then that label had finally gotten a new distributor. Um, it was the 14th studio record by them. Uh, it came out in October of that year. And its main influences were the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, I actually tuned into this a little bit in 2009 because the video to Babylon um, was being, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't in heavy rotation or anything like that. Videos by, I don't even think MTV played by 2009. It was like uh, VH1 and stuff like that were playing videos. And I, I happened to catch it one day and I watched it. I thought the song was pretty good. And they had this video in the background of the band playing behind them were these two screens where they were juxtaposing Hitler and Obama. And I went like, wow, these guys are they're taking a risk of doing that. Okay. And I thought that that was kind of cool. Um, now they did also a cover of deep purples burn on that album and Chuck Berry's promised land. But the, uh, the standout was, was Babylon's burning. Okay, yep. what I just described. Um, and, and, you know, they, when they juxtaposed Obama and Hitler, Blackie was asked about that in an interview, and, and he says that he sees similarities between the two men. Now, Blackie has announced in recent years his unwillingness to do Animal Fuck Like a Beast anymore live. Okay, yeah. And that was due to him becoming, going back to his Christian faith and becoming born again. Um, he also kind of toned down some of the, the lyrics on songs like Chainsaw Charlie. Okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and that started around the time of the, the Babylon World Tour. Okay. Um, on that tour, he, and I was going to go see them. I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. Um, on that tour, he canceled two shows, both within a week of each other. And it was the one at the Gramercy Theater on 23rd Street that I was going to go to. Um, I didn't buy the tickets. There was some still available, but then the show got canceled 
because the band found out that the venue was selling high-priced VIP tickets with meet and greets. Yeah. And they, you know, Blackie said, you know, we've never charged a fan for an autograph and we're never about to do that. Okay, so they ended up canceling that whole gig. And uh, I have never seen Wasp live. You know that, right? I, I don't know if I mentioned it. No, that's never, I, I, I was supposed to that day, and there was a time in the late 80s I was going to go, and I didn't either. So I, I really regret that. I, maybe I'll get to see them one day. But, uh, I mean, from everybody I know that's ever seen them, they, 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 they say they're fucking great. I mean, that goes without saying. I mean, I pretty much did a whole, whole show about them here. But um, the, the other show that they canceled was a show in Allentown, Pennsylvania, uh, it was about a week after the Gramercy gig, and that was because the the venue demanded fifty percent of all the band's profits. So they oh, were like, shit. Fuck, "Fuck that, we ain't getting to that." So on September twenty first, twenty twelve, Wasp celebrated the thirtieth anniversary of their first ever live show by, yeah. by kicking off a world tour at the Forum in London. Uh, the shows were segmented three ways. The way they did this was they the first part of the show was songs from the first four albums, their early stuff. And then they did kind of a shortened Crimson Idol set. Okay. And then they did a set of newer material. So Wasp's 15th studio album called Golgotha was yep. released on October 2nd, 2015. And it took them about four years to write this record. Uh, it was also the last with Mike Dupke, who left his drumming post after the album's release. Uh, more apocalyptic, apocalyptic themes were, were here on this album. Uh, you know, tracks like Slaves of the New World Order and this title track Golgotha, which is the hill where Christ was crucified, Golgotha. Okay. Uh, you know, these were standout songs on this album. Very cool. Um, as of December 2017, it was reported that Wasp was working on a new album, but nothing's happened yet, okay? Yeah. Uh, I guess the, the pandemic has slowed things down as well. Uh, sadly, Frankie Benali of Wasp and Quiet Riot died of pancreatic cancer in 2020. And three months that was three months after ex-guitarist for Wasp, Bob Kulik, died as well they lost both members that year um we're staying tuned for more more stuff from blackie lawless so, yeah definitely that's all i got that's all i got sir fantastic show man what a history man the crazy thing from eating from throwing raw meat and, yeah and 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 and, and chain chain in a pig and it was crazy i i think if they come around again if they come out with a new album i think we're gonna have to go i gotta see them once before i die yeah, they're definitely going to be a special, definitely a special team. Yeah, yeah. You know? Cool, definitely. So, and, the, and those first two albums, they, they were gold albums. Yeah, right. They did go golden time. Yeah. Um, you know, they had, a, they, they had a great reputation. They were never as, uh, you know, a, a live, as being a great live act, okay? And they, they never got, I think, the recognition because I think they were lumped in with some of the more silly bands, okay? Bands like Motley Crue yeah. kind, of, it kind of eclipsed them. I think Wasp is way better than Motley Crue. 
<laughs> okay? And, and you know, obviously, you know, bands like Poison or, you know, Warrant uh, were, were pretty bad. Uh, they, they, you know, that was what was in the forefront of this metal scene in the 80s where you had Wasp doing something dark and different, but they still got kind of lumped in and nobody quite knew what to make of them. They didn't sell a lot, but they sold enough to keep going and make a little money. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Another great show, Mike. So how can we get in touch with you if we want to uh, ask you a question or get some information? Uh, well, you can always find me on Instagram, RockerMike212, RockerMike212 on Instagram. Um, I am on um, uh, MeWe as RockerMike. I'm on CloutHub as RockerMike. Um, I'm also, of course, on Facebook. I do most of my postings there. Uh, you can find me under Rocko Mike, Rocko. And also the Rock Show podcast group page is doing very well. Um, and I post several times a day. A lot of people are, you know, group members are fantastic, the things that they post throughout the day about yeah. music. So you can always check out the Rock Show podcast group page. How about you, Rob? And you can find me on anything getting lumped up and also on the um... – Rock, uh, the Rock Show group page also for the podcast. You can find me out there too. Then you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, everything getting lumped up. If it's lumped up, I'm on it. That's right. And uh, people, remember, like we always say, don't get drunk. Get lumped up. See you next week. Take care, people. Podcast you will hear that will be music to your ears. You'll learn about bands you love or may not know, and it's only here on the Rock Show. Let's get lumped up on the rock show.